Episode 63, How to Reprogram Your Brain for Success with Sarah Riley. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I used my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you. So you can live Life Amplified. Kurt Vonnegut once said, I was taught that the human brain was the crowning glory of evolution so far, but I think it's a very poor scheme for survival. Hello and welcome back, everybody, to Life Amplified. If you're anything like where I was back when my journey started in 2012 or anywhere like where my clients are when they reach out to me now, you might be in this head versus heart battle, you know, where there's a deeper wisdom in your heart, even if it makes no sense. It says it's time to make a big change in your career, in your relationships, in your life. And yet the brain always chimes in. It speaks first and it speaks loudest and usually argues on behalf of why we should stay in our comfort zone. Coming up in a few minutes, I'm going to introduce you to a guest who's going to tell you how you can overcome your old brain programming and rewire yourself for more joy, more abundance, and more success. But before we talk to Sarah Riley, I want to acknowledge our listener of the week. It is Jackie0713 on Apple Podcasts. She gave us a five-star review. She says, so good. Dan has an engaging style of interviewing people that gets right to the heart of the matter. One of the best podcasts ever out there. Jackie, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being part of this community. It means the world to me. I send you so much love. And if you would like to be acknowledged and be our listener of the week, there are three ways that you can be considered. You can leave us those five-star ratings and reviews up on Apple Podcast. You can screenshot this podcast, upload it to Instagram or Twitter. You can tag me at CSC Dan Mason. Be sure to let me know what your big aha moment was. Or you can join our private private Facebook community, our Life Amplified Power Tribe, with people from all over the globe uh, who are seekers just like you and I. It's an amazing, supportive community, and we'd love to have you there. You can find the link in the show notes. So one of the most fascinating things to me about personal development is that so many of the concepts that once used to exist, like in the New Age section of the bookstore or in the occult section of the bookstore at one point, are really being embraced by modern science. You know, we're learning that these terms like manifesting isn't some woo-woo nonsense. A lot of times it has to do with our biology and our neurology in our brain. And that's why I wanted to talk to Sarah Riley. She is a life coach currently based out of Sydney, Australia. She helps executives, entrepreneurs, and creatives get anything they want. And Sarah really combines some of sort of the spirituality and the woo-woo with some science-based facts that are going to give you maybe a new perspective on how to get into the matrix, as she calls it, or the vortex, if you follow the work of Abraham Hicks. How do we make it happen? Sarah's going to enlighten us this week. Some of the topics Sarah and I discuss in this conversation is how we're biologically designed to keep ourselves in the comfort zone and how we can reprogram our brain to beat that. She'll tell us the science behind our actions and beliefs and why we're neurologically wired to feel what we feel. We learn how the life lessons from our youth can actually dictate our coping mechanisms as adults today. Speaking of which, we have a bigger discussion about coping mechanisms. It's not just out 
alcohol, drugs, and food, there are some subtle coping mechanisms that we can rationalize as being a good thing, but they actually keep us stuck. Sarah will talk more about that, as well as a discussion on the power of our ego and why it operates on out-of-date data and what to do about it. We'll discuss why changing your environment and surroundings without doing the inner work will never lead you to a path of true clarity and peace. She'll tell us how our reality is a projection of our perceived identity and not necessarily the truth. And she's going to give us some science behind the power of manifestation. If you're loving the podcast, uh, again, you can screenshot this, upload it to social media, Instagram and Twitter. You can find me at CSC Dan Mason and Sarah is at Sarah Riley Coaching. That is Sarah with an H R E I L L Y Coaching. And let us know uh, that you're enjoying the podcast this week. In the meantime, get ready for a fascinating conversation with Sarah Riley. Sarah Riley, welcome to Life Amplified. Thank you so much for having me. I love being on podcasts. I'm stoked. Well, I'm excited to have you on this podcast. We've been talking about this for a while. I'm so excited we can make it happen because I think my listeners are going to love your message. Number one, they're going to love your awesome accent. Number two, (laughs) they're going to love the message that you're preaching today. Thank you. Yeah, the accent's gotten to be a bit of a hybrid. Half my family is Kiwi, half are Australian, and I spend a reasonable amount of time in Canada and the UK. So depending on what slang I'm using, the the accent sort of rolls around from time to time. So as long as they can follow it at all, I'll be happy. (laughs) Well, the accent is interesting, and so is your backstory. You know, there's so many ingredients that go into creating a life amplified. You want amplified relationships, you know, with people who bring love and connection and joy into your life. You need amplified finances so that you can pay your bills and do the things that you want to do. You need an amplified schedule where you got time to get your work done, but also time for play. And I've always said, like, at the base of all of that, I always think at the foundation, it's all about the career that you're in because, you know, it's where you spend the majority of your waking hours. And if your work sucks every day, everything else tends to suck. This is your background. This is what I love is that you teach people about taking risks, going after their dreams. You help people accomplish any goal that they have. Yet you spent over 10 years working in corporate and risk management. How the hell did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) about as one would expect. I fell into it ass backwards and didn't enjoy a minute of it. And uh, it ended up giving me a tumor, which I think probably most people would expect after 10 years in a corporate job that they were grateful to have for the income that it brought, but deeply unhappy in the process. And I think you made a good point about, you know, the career having such an impact on your life, because if it's not your mission, if it's not your purpose, the impact of that on your hormones, on your health, on your general state of mind cannot be understated. Tell me about that then, because obviously you got to a point where your body got your attention and you knew that you had to make a change. But why do we wait until we get to that point that we either lose the job, that we get the health diagnosis, that a marriage falls apart? Why is it that in so many ways that we wait until rock bottom to initiate something new into our life when it's available to us all the time? Yeah, good question. I think Tony Robbins nails it when he talks about the concept of limbo, right? If you're within the parameters of your comfort zone, then yeah, you want your life to change. If you had a magic wand, you would do something about it. But it's not so bad that you have to move. And because we're wired for safety rather than we're wired for survival, right? So we're 
primarily preoccupied for safety and familiarity and all the rest of it, it takes a little bit to push us out. And once our neural connections are all modified for a certain type of lifestyle, it can feel physically uncomfortable to do something different. But yeah, it is deeply ironic that I spent that long in risk management and now I'm a huge advocate for taking mammoth risks. (laughs) Talk more about this idea because it's something I preached a little bit on this podcast before, but we're all walking around with this outdated device that we're a slave to in our head. And we think that the brain is looking out for our best interest. And really, a lot of times when we're just stuck at the level of thinking, it's what keeps us playing small. What is going on there with that? Why does it feel so real in the moment when the brain takes over and tells us why we can't go after the new relationship, why we can't chase the new job, why we can't pursue our dreams. What's happening there just from a biology and neurological standpoint? Yeah. So I like to refer to it as soul versus biology because at your core, your soul, like the essence of who you are, however you want to describe it, he or she wants to do everything. They want to travel the world, publish the novel, meet all the people, have all the relationships, experience all the feels and do the full spectrum of the human experience. But that is encased in a body that is biologically wired for survival, and so it seeks safety through familiarity all the time, and it starts learning so early on, right? Because humans are interrelationally dependent for their whole lives, but they're really, really interrelationally dependent for at least the first, you know, 10 to 15 years. Some of us up until our 30s, depending on the type of person, (laughs) how we were raised, right? So because we recognize our primary caregivers as the source of shelter and food and human connection, right, we're, we're set up to learn very quickly, you know, like, you know, when you're playing a video game and you have the little life bar in the top right hand corner. And every time you take a hit, every time you run through the nitro box, every time you fall in the river, every time the crocodile snaps at you, the little life bar goes down. This is an analogy that I like to think of in the fact that human nervous systems can only take so many hits, right? We can die of stress. We can die of isolation. We can die of heartbreak, right? So if you consider that the system knows it only has a limited amount of hits, it's going to be very motivated to learn super fast. So when you're a kid and you perceive some kind of pain, like say you're three or four years old and you try to hug someone and they don't want to be around you or they yell at you unexpectedly, your nervous system takes that hit of disappointment, rejection, abandonment, fear, you know, separation, whatever. And it says, well, what does this mean? What do I have to learn to make sure I never get that hit again? And so it will learn things that are you specific because you haven't developed empathy yet. So you can't intellectually reason what's going on with that other person. It will learn things like I can't express love in this direction. I can't get my hopes up. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't whatever. It's not safe for me to do whatever. And any good psychologist will say it's not the trauma. It's the coping mechanism, right? Because the problem isn't that someone was mean to you when you were four. The problem is how you learn to be in response to that. Mm. So if your system learns, well, I can't do this, then it's going to learn that, bury it, put a couple of scabs worth of coping mechanisms on top of it, formulate a bunch of beliefs that support you keeping it. And it builds this elaborate structure to make sure that you don't mess with the programming because messing with the programming is certain depth. And this is why when we start talking to people about, okay, but why do you do that? They might feel triggered. They might feel upset. They might feel defensive. It's the nervous system protecting its old programming. So if people really want to make massive change, they have to be prepared for a certain amount of discomfort in the process because the system is going to fight back. And I I don't like to get super dramatic, but everything fights when it's dying and all egoic deaths usually come with a bit of nausea and a bit of panic and a bit of defensiveness, right? Yeah, and I think that this is such an important point that you're hitting on because, you know, the human brain, from what we've learned in science, 
doesn't really develop the capacity for analytical reasoning until <laughs> after the age of 10. Yeah. And so many of these messages from childhood are just burned in and imprinted. It's like we build this hardware system of beliefs that we just assume are truth because at three to five, seven years old, you had no idea how to distinguish what's real and what's not. But on yeah. some level, Sarah, is it just that when we make these decisions about what's possible for our life, about the love that we believe is available to us and what we need to do to get that love, isn't it almost like, you know, we can be fully grown adults, but have a seven-year-old running part of our life in, that, in those moments? Yeah, 100%. Because the system doesn't self-audit or self-update, right? From a survival perspective, if you see your dad get eaten by a tiger when you're five, your system's going to record the message that tigers are bad, stay well away from them, right? And then if someone comes up to you in later life, and says tigers are the cutest kitties you should head boop them at every opportunity you're gonna have cognitive dissonance around that you're gonna be like this person's a moron right 100 you will feel that but the problem is now in the 2000s and 2019 most of us were born in 60s 70s 80s 90s right what we learned wasn't about tigers it was about whether it's safe to be in a relationship, whether it's safe to build connection, whether it's safe to be our truest, authentic self. And because the system doesn't self-audit or self-update, yeah, to a certain extent, you're going to have a traumatized four-year-old running your business if you don't get in there and make those changes. Because once the system has recorded that meaning, it thinks that meaning is intimately linked to you staying alive. So it buries it within a scotoma, a psychological blind spot, and then layers up the coping mechanisms and all the beliefs on top of it. So yeah, 100%, you're right. Like sometimes we have a scared seven-year-old or a scared 10-year-old running our business. I think based on the readings that I've done around when they start getting good test results out of kids for empathy using like flip cards and stuff like that, the earliest we typically register empathy, depending on who we are, obviously allowing for bio-individuality, is around seven years old. And based on what I've read, again, they, they're not even looking to diagnose you with delayed empathy until you get past 12. So there's an easy decade there where you are a sponge for inaccurate data. And because the system doesn't self-audit and self-update, if you don't you know, work with someone and do that work in your adult years, then you are basically applying a bunch of coping mechanisms that you used to navigate and survive primary school, or I think you call it elementary school in the US. And you're trying to apply that to your adult relationships and your adult business. And I mean, you know, we can guess how well that's going to go. And when you refer to things like coping mechanisms, you know, I think a lot of times in the mental health world or in coaching and therapy, you know, the things like addiction get a lot of play. You know, coping yeah. strategies can be alcohol, it can be drugs, yeah. it can be gambling, sex. But there's other more subtle coping mechanisms that keep us stuck as well. And I'm just wondering okay. if you could speak to that, because a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I'm very well adjusted. I don't need to cope. I, I don't drink a drop of alcohol but yeah. they've been procrastinating on taking action for 12 years. <laughs> you know? Oh, now you're speaking my language. In fact, I did a coaching call this morning where we identified a primary coping mechanism of apathy. This person is incredibly healthy, makes great money, loves their career, works out every morning, journals, sees a coach, is doing everything right until we start looking at, okay, so let's move into the next phase of your dreams and we start talking about the fact that this person is incapable of daydreaming. And I'm like, well, isn't that interesting, given that daydreaming is, you know, a phenomenal way to activate emotional content for manifestation. So let's go into that. And then we find out that, you know, based on stuff that happened when this person was like three or four years old, their primary coping mechanism is apathy because the underlying survival meaning is there isn't any point in getting 
excited about or invested in what you want because even if you get it, it'll be taken away immediately. Mm. So yes, while addiction and all of that fun stuff gets most of the airtime and most of the drama and all the excited stuff, to be honest, based on like who I've coached over the last few years, I would say apathy is probably just as damaging because if you can't emotionally engage in what you want, you can't bring it into this reality. So we've got this voice in our head. You know, all of us have like the bitch in our brain, the mean girl, <laughs> the bully. Who... I call it the douchebag. Yeah, it's the douche. It's the brain douche. <laughs> yeah. The business end of the douchebag too. It's just... <laughs> yes. Just feeding uh, all these terrible thoughts and self-judgment and in the moment of course when you're going through it it seems completely logical we can rationalize it we can make that real and argue on its behalf but of course the further you get down the personal development world you have to at some point realize that that voice is not you how the hell do we do that though <laughs> it's like great in theory how do you apply it in practice i think understanding the biology of it really helps the way that i like to explain it the way that gives me the clearest mental picture around it is if you just recognize that the ego is a protective layer it kicks in um, when it's first needed when you're young and it's there to save you it's just that it's operating off really out of date data the way i like to kind of just fixate on it is to say it's a quirk of our biology we have an ego the same way we have a liver they both serve purposes they're both related to our survival and they both need to be handled with care so the ego is not going away the ego dies many deaths in various forms but it exists for a reason the key is not to get all obsessive about trying to kill it off which i see a lot of but rather to recognize that it's a quirk of your biology and it is not repeat not a business mentor Right. Because when I started moving into courses, you know, I'd been coaching for a long time and I had really good content and I was excited to do it. But because I hadn't done it before, I don't have a reference file for it. So the nervous system gets triggered. We're stepping outside the parameters of the known right now. That sets the ego off. Sometimes I just refer to it as the tape recorder because it's information never really updates properly. And so I'm sitting there writing, you know, course content and workbooks and I'm, you know, super pleased about it. And in the background, there is Captain Douchebag saying, hey, this is never going to sell. This content doesn't very good. Everybody teaches it better than you. Nobody likes you. We're probably going to die, right? And just getting well out of control. And what I've learned is that like fear, the ego is not armed. It's not a physical barrier. It's very annoying. And if you listen to it primarily, if you prioritize it, it will be loud and it will be right in the front and it will, you know, be, be right here in the front of your brain and be very defensive and very insistent and very dramatic. But when you start to step away from it and say, listen, I know why you're there. I know what you're trying to do. And I understand why this particular action has set you off. Then you can just let it be there like an unfortunate sibling. <laughs> right. And so I'll be typing up this workbook and it'll be saying this is never going to sell. And I'll be like, cool, maybe it won't. And it'll say we're probably going to die. And I say, cool, eventually. Yeah. I don't think it'll be because of this particular workbook, but thank you for your input. I appreciate your time. And it says things like, well, other people teach this better. And I'll say, yep, they probably do. But for the audience that vibes with their communication style, the people that like mine will like this. So I just think that we give it more attention and more drama than it deserves. I think once we realize that it serves a purpose, but you don't have to pretend like it's the be all and end all, and you certainly should not take business advice from it. 
you can move through it a lot quicker. Does that make sense? Yes. And I know you're framing a lot of this in context of business, but I think for other people out there, this could be showing up in relationships about why they're not worthy of love or why nobody's trustworthy. It could Mm -hmm. be showing up in terms of getting out of financial debt. I mean, this is really just a pervasive sort of construct that will show up in every area of our lives. Yeah, 100%. How we do one thing is how we do most things. So if you're, you know, if you've spent a lot of time listening to the ego and the ego knows that the quickest way to get you out of your dreams and back to the couch with a pizza is just kick off a shame spiral, it'll probably kick off a shame spiral in business and in relationships and at the beach and wherever else you happen to find yourself at that time. I think the common belief that so many people have is if I just change the environment all this will be better. If I get the divorce, if I leave the relationship, if I leave the soul-sucking corporate job, everything is all better. But if you haven't really addressed at that inner layer, at the level of belief, it's very tough. Now, I, I'll give you an example of somebody who I was working with who came to me and, you know, she's working two different jobs and just working herself into the ground and not making the level of income she wants and not using her creativity the way she wants. And the story she had on repeat is, I'm such a loser I'm not maximizing my potential. And she finally worked up the nerve to quit the soul-sucking job. So she's just working a part-time retail job while she is studying and preparing to move into a new career lane. And you would think that that's the answer, but now the story is you're such a loser. You're only working part-time. Now you're making less money. And I illustrate that just because, and that's something that we're working through at the level of belief, but how does somebody get out of the pattern of thinking, I'll be happy when I'm in a new location, when I have a fresh start, because we can so focus on the external that we use it to avoid doing the hard work internally. I mean, changing the environment has some benefits, but if you think changing everything at level five is going to miraculously fix level one, you have absolutely missed the point, right? Because the key is not, you know, well, I'll just get a different job. It's like, what's the fundamental model of reality behind you getting a job that isn't your purpose to start with? Because if you haven't addressed the misperception that you can only get money by working at a job that you don't particularly enjoy, you're just going to jump out of the frying pan into the fire. You're just going to get another job and recreate the pattern. Humans deliberately and you know subconsciously but intentionally create environments that they know how to navigate. This is why we see our parents' relationship played out again in our own marriage as adults. Because you know you may not enjoy it, but you're not wired for happiness. You're wired for survival. So you're going to set up a game that you know how to play. You know, you may not enjoy this play, but you know the script. You're going to set it up in such a way that you recognize because that way you can create safety and certainty for your nervous system. The system isn't interested in whether or not you like it. In fact, extended periods of happiness are typically perceived as vulnerability. You know, the system is not trying to create something good. It's trying to create something it understands. And this is where bravery for change comes into play, right? So, yeah, the deep work is critical because I'm, I'm less interested in why your job sucks and more interested in why you would still be at a job that sucks. Right? If you're not being driven by some really out-of-date data, you would be like, I really don't want to be here. I'm going to leave. And then I ask you why you haven't left. Then you rattle off a bunch of stories. And I'm like, okay, these are very strange stories. And I would like to know where they came from. Because if we don't exercise the root, the engine behind what you know created these stories, then we're not going to do any damage, right? You can't mess with the matrix once the atoms have fully clumped together and created something. You know, I can't ask you to put your face through the table. That's not going to work. What we can do is make sure that in your next home, we don't put a table right where you want to put your face. 
And that was possibly the worst analogy I've ever used for that. <laughs> Even though I was saying it, I was like, this makes so much sense in my head. And then I said it out loud and I'm like, nope, that's that's not it. That's not where I was going. <laughs> well, let's talk about this more because I know the way you teach it, you refer a lot to the matrix. Uh, yeah. Other people call it the vortex. Other people yeah. call it the law of attraction, manifestation, yeah. co-creation. It gets a lot of talk. And yet, I don't think many of us really understand the real way it works. This whole idea has been peddled commercially as, hey, if you just think about something, you deserve to have it, which is not really personal growth. That's entitlement. When we talk about the matrix and we talk about this idea of manifestation, can you break that down and maybe give somebody some actionable steps? Because we think that, you know, the circumstances of our life are reality. And I know that you have a different way that you teach this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, your reality is personal to you. It's a projection of your perceived identity. So there is no one reality. For some people, if we grew up with a, a childhood environment where there was a lot of fault and a lot of blame, we can be a little bit nervy about recognizing our own power and about taking responsibility. You know, you take someone's blindfold off and they realize they're in the driver's seat. This goes one of two ways. They're either super excited about it. They put their foot down and they drive it all the way to a big pile of money in Aruba or they look at the state of the car up until now and they're like, this is pretty dinged up. Am I sure I want to take responsibility for how bad it's been so far? Because, you know, that's necessary. And then some of them will choose to put the blindfold back on and keep saying, well, you know, it's the barriers up the side of the freeway that's at fault. You know, it's, you know, I'm not not going to acknowledge that I'm in the driver's seat. So I think what makes it easier for people to understand is just to say, listen, the law of attraction is one of the 12 universal principles, right? It's based on very sound principles of quantum physics. And what we know about quantum physics is that the key difference between Newtonian and quantum physics is that Newtonian's cause and effect, and it applies at the finished product, right? The finished matrix, the reality that you're looking at now, the table in front of you, the chair that you're sitting on, the car you're driving in, whatever. This is the finished product. If I chuck a cup of coffee across the room, it's going to break. I'm going to be in trouble. I'm not going to get my security deposit back. This is cause and effect. But when we get out a really big microscope and we look at what the atoms are doing down at the building blocks of reality, actually at the atomic level, it's not Newtonian. It's quantum, right? It's not cause and effect. It's closer to what I describe as effect triggers cause. So the atoms don't have individual little brains and they're deciding what reality to build and you're just this hapless victim desperately navigating what they've created. They take their direction from you. If you happen to have a a microscope powerful enough in your house, which I doubt, but, you know, there may be some scientists listening to this, you can watch them do it. I mean, that was what happened back in 1925 is they noticed that the atoms were responding to what the researcher was thinking and feeling and who the researcher was, right? The atomic behavior changes depending on the vibration of the person looking and atoms appear wherever the researcher was looking for them. So we can conclude that we are affecting and building reality in real time. It's just that not everyone understands lag time. They don't see the magic of it because they don't realize that it takes a few weeks to a few months, sometimes a year for the atoms to clump together in the way that they've been directing. And I know that I oversimplify that, but I do it on purpose because I think the topic doesn't have to be that complicated. And I think if people just recognized that our eyesight simply isn't strong enough to watch atomic behavior. I think they would understand the magic a bit more if they could just if they could just make that connection. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And the gestation period, though, yeah. for these mm. things to come together can yeah. also just trigger the same beliefs of it's not meant for me. I'm yeah. not good enough. Nothing works out for me. That's for, you know, the prosperity purpose. That's for those other people. 
So it's almost like we've come full circle. If I'm hearing you correctly, once you lay the foundation for what you want at the level of belief and you clear up any mental blind spots in the way, then you're in the point where you can be in, as you call it, the matrix. You can manifest and you will have the faith, the trust, the confidence to wait that out while the universe responds to your intention. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think the part that people miss is, you know, the coaching aspect around, well, you can only welcome in what your system feels safe to welcome in. The bottom line is if you learned growing up that, you know, that poverty and struggle is what builds character and you saw your parents responding positively to people battling through and responding very negatively to people who had stuff easy and who had a lot of money, then your system perceives that money comes at the sacrifice of your tribe and it's not going to let it in. So I think what's missing for people is recognizing that just because you say you want something doesn't mean your nervous system thinks it's safe to have it, right? You may say that you want a lot of money and yet how many people, like I read somewhere that 90% of lotto winners are poor again in under five years. And it didn't surprise me at all because if your entire identity is centered around poverty and struggle and all of your, you know, good attributes and your connections all are within the context of poverty, then your nervous system is only going to see the money as, as a threat. In fact, I worked with a coach who um, a while ago, and I did warn her about this at the start, but people tend not to heed warnings, right? So we did the work around it. And what, what this person wanted was they still had a job, but they needed a fairly big pay rise to make a dent in their debt. And once they'd made a dent in their debt, they were going to take coaching full time. So they needed some coaching clients and they needed a big fat pay rise. So we worked on that. That came through in a couple of weeks, $10 an hour pay rise and four discovery calls booked in the same day. And the minute all of that came through, do you think any celebration was going on? Uh, Yes, who got a phone call from someone on a sidewalk in absolute hysterical tears going, what the hell is happening? And I was like, okay, so according to my notes, this is everything you asked for, right? But it was like just full emotional breakdown. And to be fair, I had one of those two, like coaching milestones for income, like, you know, the $10,000 week is quite a famous sort of coaching milestone that people try to hit at the start before you get into six figure months and stuff. And I remember when I crossed that threshold, I made 11 and a half thousand in 72 hours and my system shut down. Because I'd always made good money as an executive, but not 11 and a half in the hand in 72 hours. And I remember, and all of my clients love this story because I then spent the following two weeks in sweatpants, binge watching Law and Order SVU, eating Caesar salad out of saucepans for <laughs> like, and just, and like mentally tried to shut down the whole business and move back to Australia and get a job in a clothing store. Just mentally checked out completely. Now, Caesar salad is one of my favorite meals in the world. And I was, in order to not have to get off the couch, I was making like, you know, those big saucepans that you boil potatoes in for mashed potatoes, the big ones that you make like a chili in. Yeah. Yeah. I was making that much Caesar salad at a time. And I was just eating Caesar salad, just binge watching Law and Order SVU because we had cable TV and there are channels where it just runs 24 hours a day. Right. And I was just watching Law and Order SVU, which to be fair is one of the best shows on the planet. But my friend would come home. She'd be like, so still there, huh? And I'm like, yeah, still in recovery, still the neurons are updating, still not doing so well, still mentally trying to exit this entire contraption of a world that I have built. And she's like, this is what you wanted, right? And I'm like, yeah, 100% says I, shoveling Caesar salad into my face. I'm like, yes, but my nervous system hasn't experienced this before. This is not within the parameters of my identity. And I'm going through a software upgrade and my software upgrades just happen to require this much law and order. And I apologize. I'll be off your couch in a week, which I was. It is so funny the way that happens. Anytime I've hit a new milestone in yeah. my career, like I think 
August and September of last year was the biggest 60-day swing I had ever had as an entrepreneur. I mean, I probably made half of my yearly corporate salary uh, you know, yeah. close to it in about 60 days. Yeah. And that exactly. was when I made the move cross country. And I knew that I you know, signed the lease on my new dream apartment on the ocean in California. And then I went into a 60 day meltdown. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. yeah. Because it's like, I have all this stuff, but am I this person? Because if I'm yeah. not yet hundred percent this person, then my nervous system has seen all of this wonderful stuff as a threat and is going about exorcising the demon. So being able to ride that with the expansion and contraction is everything. And you and I do this with our clients all the time, but it's also why we continue to invest in mentorship on our own, yes. because I think part of it is, you know, for people is like when you're getting to the next level, it's almost like you have to anticipate the contraction and the setback. Yeah, a hundred percent. This is one of the primary benefits of coaching is not just that, yeah, we will help get you to your dreams because we can and it's awesome. But once you get there and your nervous system like wigs out then there has to be someone around for you to calibrate to someone who's you know the, the inherent safety in their nervous system around everything you're going for your system has to be able to mooch off that as I like to say that you know you have to be able to bring the crazy ideas and the crazy thoughts and all the rest of it to someone who says yes this is 100% fine you're absolutely fine I've been through it and this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to modify your self-care. This is how I want you to, you know, what I want you to introduce into this meditative process. This is what you need to understand. These are tools for managing and manipulating your nervous system in such a way that it is, you know, playing on your team rather than just going completely rogue and running off into the desert without you. You don't have to suffer through this and you certainly, and here's the kicker, you absolutely do not have to let this self-sabotage pattern win. Like It's completely unnecessary. Like You know what's funny is people often say that coaching is a big investment and I'm like, what's a bigger investment, right? Getting a coach and making sure that your business grows exponentially or, or that your life gets exponentially better or making a little bit of progress, then sabotaging the lot and costing yourself all of that stuff and all of the time you put into it because I think people forget to incorporate the opportunity cost, right? Procrastination is the biggest expense in anyone's life because the opportunity cost of what you could have done with that month runs into the hundreds of thousands of dollars within about 90 days or less. You know, even for you and I, we teach this. But we're mm -hmm. still prone to it because you never really see your own blind spots, right? There's so many people like, oh, okay, I listened to this podcast, Dan. I think I got it on my own now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I listen. Yeah. And the ego will always do that. One thing I say to people a lot is, have you ever noticed how getting a Starbucks and going to the self-help section of Barnes & Noble doesn't make you want to vomit all over yourself? And they're like, yeah, no, it's a very pleasant Saturday afternoon out. And I'm like, yeah, that's how you know that it's not doing any deep work. <laughs> if you're not thoroughly nauseated and one of your legs is shaking uncontrollably and you've gone a bit gray and you really hate your coach we probably haven't gone deep enough right <laughs> the thing is the book is going to be read with your conscious mind and if the problem was in your conscious mind you would have fixed it already it's all at that deeper level so i guess one last question before we wrap it up here what does life amplified mean to you life amplified is what life is supposed to be like. Because yes. I think, you know, the matrix right now just requires that we exist and that we're productive. I think what most people think of life is not inherently life amplified. I think it's the drone state, right? So life amplified is where you step outside of the factory for a second, where you climb off the hamster wheel and you say, okay, amazing countries, amazing vistas, amazing opportunities, amazing people. I've only got 80 years on this planet. If I'm lucky, touch wood, 
and I want to have the full human experience. How do I get to Aruba? How do I meet that person? How do I publish this book? How do I learn Italian? How do I sample French food? How do I meet the turtles in the Galapagos? How do I see the toucans? How do I, how do I actually have the human experience? How quickly can I get there? How quickly can I see it? How much can I see? What can I do? I think for me, Life Amplified is what living was always supposed to be and what we've sort of forgot about because of all the have-tos. I have to get to work. I have to pay that bill. I have to get that sorted. I have to please that person. I have to not say that around that person. I have to call that person. Life Amplified is everything that sits outside of the have-tos. I hope somebody walks away today and realizes that Life Amplified is supposed to be our natural state. It's not something that we yes. have to aspire to. Yes, 100%. It is supposed to be the natural state. I think, um, I think what we've come to expect is normal has been mislabeled as normal. I think it's common. I think it's deeply abnormal to be as unhappy, to be as tired, to be as upset, to be as limited as many of us are finding ourselves in this incredibly unlimited world. So Sarah, I know that you have a course coming up all about practical manifestation. Tell everybody a little bit about what that is. I believe it's a self-guided course, but uh, but yeah. what is it and when will that be available? Yeah, so that is being loaded onto Teachable right now. It's all written and finished and wonderful. We're just um, going over the copy for it at this um, point in time so that everyone can get the download. Basically, it's a four-week self-study course and it is called Practical Manifestation because the feedback I get from a lot of people around this is, yes, we love the woo-woo. Yes, we love the videos on quantum physics. Yes, we love, you know, all the sort of background information and, and anything to do with crystals. But at the end of the day, what do I physically do to manifest what I want? And you talk about the idea that, well, I might be restricting myself and I'm pretty sure I do have blocks in certain areas. And, I, you know, there are aspects of the things I say I want that scare the living crap out of me. How might, you know, everything I want be circling and unable to land? How do I dig into what I do and don't think is safe? How do I actually bring this stuff in and understand it in a very practical, tangible way rather than just, you know, constantly being told to, you know, act as if it's here when I can't do that because I don't have any of those resources right now. And I, all of those questions can be answered very simply. And I've put a few people through the course as like a, can you test this for me? And the feedback has been absolutely epic. So I am really excited to bring this to the market. And it's going to be it's going to be available in a couple of weeks at a very uh, affordable price point, and I am so excited for people to see it because I think it's going to make a real difference. I've been trialing these techniques through one-on-one -on -one coaching clients over the last few years with phenomenal results, and yeah first teachable course for me. Very excited. Amazing. Always a huge milestone for any coach. So happy to support you on that. Where can they go to get information? All right. So Sarah Riley coaching is me on everything. It's my dot com. It's my Instagram. It's my Facebook. Sarah with an H. Riley is R-E-I-L-L-Y. And I think everyone knows how to spell coaching. So sarahreillycoaching.com is where you can apply for a discovery call if you're interested to see what a bit of a dig around in your subconscious would look like. And otherwise, just feel free to engage with me on social media. I post a lot of content. I post a lot of blogs. And if you want to join my mailing list, you can get a freebie on my website, a cheat sheet on getting your boundaries sorted and taking your power back. So yeah, go do that. Amazing. Sarah, awesome conversation. Thank you so much for the time. And we got to do this again sometime. This was, this was awesome. A hundred percent. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
love me some Sarah Riley. If you did too, be sure to let us know that you're listening this week. Screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram or Twitter, tag her at Sarah Riley Coaching, and you can tag me at CSC. Dan Mason. And this is really the work that I love as a coach is helping people start to rewire their brains for success. I've had two coaching calls in the past 24 hours alone where people have finally made the shift. You can see their face soften. You see their shoulders perk up. Their physiology changes. Once you really start to get out of the old programming and step into a new reality full of possibilities and opportunity, if you need a mentor to help you on that journey, I got a couple spots open for VIP coaching. We will get you on the list right now. Check out more information and fill out my coaching application at the link here in the show notes, or you can go to my website, creativesoulcoaching.net. And we're going to continue the conversation in our private Facebook group, the Life Amplified Power Tribe. I'll be in there with some videos and uh, soliciting some of your feedback and uh, just going a little bit deeper with the conversation. Be sure to join us there. As always, it is my greatest honor and privilege to serve you. Thanks for spending a few minutes with me this week. And in the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live Life Amplified. I'll talk to you next week.